warning. We are about to spoil the movie Perfect Blue. If you haven't seen the movie and you plan on watching it, leave now and come back later. But if you have seen it, or you just don't care, then please stick around. This movie really confuses me. I'm not sure why Satoshi Khan felt he needed to one-up Derek Jarman, but hey, here we are. No one. (laughs) Not a single person. No one is going to fucking get that. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Cinema Roulette. We are back at it, and Jesus, it has been a long time since we've actually recorded a movie episode. For you guys, it's like, oh, whatever, you know, we're just keep going with it. But for us, it's been so long. Shit, I don't know where we are with TV in comparison to this movie so yeah. i can't say the last episode we recorded we can't really yeah do spoilers or anything just in case but yeah should no th- really write these down at some point we probably should just so we're not like uh where are we at <laughs> but yeah needless to say we've just been focusing mostly on television and we've put this off quite a few times actually we were supposed to watch this film a couple of days ago, hell, I, like I'd even say a week ago, but like shit happened. I got busy and there were nights when I just got on too late and we're like, we don't really want to start something this heavy this late. And it's kind of had to wait until I had a day off yesterday in order to actually watch the damn thing. <laughs> and speaking of heavy, this yeah. movie talks a lot about sexual assault. If you can't, this is a trigger warning. If you can't handle that or do not feel like handling that today, I suggest uh, skipping the episode for now or until next week. Apologies in advance. (laughs) And not that it just talks about it. There is graphic depiction of sexual assault in this movie. So, yeah, there's a lot going on. Yeah. Yeah. Besides the heavy sexual assault, there's other just themes in general, psychological stuff that you just if you're not in the mood for that. Yeah, please just go the next episode. (laughs) Yeah, that's more of the main reason why we put off uh, watching this for yeah. a, at least a week, even though it's the shortest movie on the director's wheel. It is, technically, yes. as That, that long-ass director's wheel, it is the shortest movie, but yeah, we just looked at it and we're like, fuck, do we want to deal with that tonight? But we're dealing with it tonight, or this morning, or whenever the hell you listen. Yes. It could be the end of the world. It very Honestly, well could be. Sorry. Yeah, we apologize. Uh, <laughs> we're glad that... Chosen a, a Night Vale episode <laughs> instead of us, but hey. Yeah, hey, we're we're glad you stuck with us. Thank you so much for your uh, patronage, or whatever. Um, I so. wouldn't have done the same for you. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so, uh, yes, today, this is the second uh, Satoshi Khan movie that we've reviewed on the show. This is the 1997 film Perfect Blue. I was trying to think of a connection with the silence in the movie, and I got yeah. nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I tried. There is kind of, well, during the title drop, they do the K-pop song, and that just cuts out, just ha, 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 and then goes uh, to silence. Damn, so. that would have been a clever segue. Yeah. Oh, well. Yeah, fuck it. <laughs> so. But, um, fuck, you broke my train of thought. Sorry. Oh, I was going to say for all technicalities, this movie was released in 97 to go around uh, the, um, like, film, not film circuit, what is the term here? Well, it was film festivals, yeah. Yeah, festival. The festival circuit is what it went around, but officially it was released in 90, like, to theaters. Yeah, because it got a huge amount of recognition in the uh, circuit, but, so. Yeah, festival circuit. Yeah, it got a huge amount of recognition. People were surprised, and so they gave the general release, so. <laughs> I think this was the second Satoshi Khan film I saw. Mm. Because I know I saw Paprika first after watching Paranoia Agent. As, yeah, I was going to say, Paprika was my first exposure to Satoshi Khan. Because you watched Paranoia Agent before me, but I, I remember I watched Paprika before you did. Yeah. Um, and this was his directorial debut with movies, at least. He did do a JoJo OVA. Yeah. 
But for movies, this was his very first one, and what a way to start. Jeez Louise. Yeah. Uh, I, I'll also say now, this movie was based on a book, <laughs> but that doesn't really matter. We'll, we'll get to why after the synopsis. <laughs> yes, yes. There's some very interesting behind-the-scenes stuff so to discuss. <laughs> okay. So, Perfect Blue. We have a pop idol named Mima. Well, she's not going to be a pop idol for long. She is in a trio called Cham, and, but she's retiring for, from being a star, well, from being a pop idol to become a movie star. And, well, it, it's not going great. <laughs> Their last show was at, like, a cheap, a rather cheap gig uh, she didn't even really get to say what she wanted to. And the first role she has lined up, she literally has one line in the... Well, it's for a TV show, but the first episode she's in, she gets one whole line. Yeah. <laughs> and three shots. She also got out a letter calling her a traitor and keeps being told about Mima's room on this weird interweb thing. Yes. <laughs> But on her her first day on set, when she's already very nervous, it feels like everyone's talking about her. Uh, she did get fan mail, at, but said she's in the middle of a scene. Her uh, one of her agents opens it. It was a bomb, and it says the next one will be real. Yeah. So that's fun. I don't think it ends up killing him, does it? It does. Yeah, it doesn't kill him. It just injures him slightly. Yeah. <laughs> then she gets a web tutorial. And told how computers work, because this is 97, and this is still... Yeah. Actually, Satoshi Khan even didn't really understand computers at the time, so technically he had to teach himself in order to write this part of the script. He, he did. It was kind of funny. It's just kind of an outdated thing where it's like, wow, what does this new technology thing do? So it, it's just it's an interesting snapshot of that time period. Yeah. Uh, but she goes on the website Mima's Room, and it seems like a fun blog where it's talking about her. That's neat. It's probably one of her producers or something. But that's oddly specific, like someone's stalking her. Oh. Sure hope paranoia doesn't set in. <laughs> Fucking past notes, why do you suck? <laughs> I just wrote down blurring the lines. I forget if this is when we first see uh, the ghost of idol Mima. Mm. Might be. Because it was after the bomb, and then... Yeah. I... Yeah, I think this is when they, she first sees a ghost version of her idol self. Yeah. Kind of talking her like, that. this isn't the Mima people want. People want me. It's like, okay. <laughs> uh... That that's fine. Anyway, she's suddenly on set. Yep. <laughs> well, not that sudden. We're we're not at that point of the movie. Cause she does get more of a role after her agents argue for her. And she's and here's where we need the the warning. Mm -hmm. It it's a rape scene. And again, this is all. This is still made up with. It's the show within the movie. And everyone's making sure she's comfortable with it, but she mainly tells herself, well, hey, I need to do something to show that I'm not just a, a little pop idol. Yeah. I'm a real actress. Sure, that isn't commentary on anything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but she goes through with the scene. And one of her, one of her agents, Rumi, walks out because she just she can't take seeing the death of Mima's innocence, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Her other agent uh, is like checks in on her. I mean, it's like no, it's fine. It was just a scene. So Mima goes home and breaks the breaks down a lot. Yeah, it, it was a lot. Mm -hmm. She thinks she sees her fish die, which just causes her to completely snap and like talk to herself in her apartment about how. 
she, of course she didn't want to do the scene. It's fucked up, but but no one basically no one else tried to help her. Mm-hmm. So that, but uh, we do also see that the fish are still alive. She was just her mental state is kind of going. I'm sure it's fine though. Oh, I'm sure it's fine. Yeah, like. Then we see the screenwriter who who put in said rape scene to raise tension in the show uh, get his comeuppance for doing such a thing. And he just gets fucked up in an elevator oh, yeah. as a, a Cham song plays. Mm-hmm. Also, this whole time we've been seeing this weird stalker dude. I'm just going to... He does have a name, but I'm just going to call him the stalker. Yeah. Uh, that then Mima has a photo shoot with a a sleazy photographer. It, it's for advertisement and actually does get her nude, which also isn't doing great numbers on her mental health. Mm-hmm. I forgot to mention before this, after the the one scene, she even she like disassociates by staring at the the stage lights and sees her idol self kind of taunting her like, well, now you're dirty. <laughs> yep. You're, well, she wakes up back in her room and the ghost is just like, you're dirty. You're, you're not me anymore. It's like, oh, oh no. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> well, the photo shoot happens while she's also, a, this is one scene we'll get to because it's weird. But she sees herself performing with Cham again and on the website which she of uh, Mima's room. That Mima says she was there. And we never really And we even see the stalker like happy at the performance as the two main uh Cham girls are really uncomfortable on stage all of a sudden. Yeah, because they they um they continued on without her as a duo. I don't think we mentioned that. Oh, I did forget to mention that. Yeah, and Cham is actually doing better without her. Yeah, like they actually feels hit, rude. It does feel rude. Like they hit the charts at eighty nine. They're like, wow, we never even broke the charts when I was in the group. So this also does not help her mental state. Uh- <laughs> then she has. Uh, I had to look into this. This scene is a dream. Mm. Uh, where she think, and, uh, she goes with her one of her agents to a radio station where Cham is doing what, like just doing radio stuff since they've hit the charts. They're ta- uh, doing a little talk show. And she goes to see them, but sees her idol self in with them. And then the idle self runs out down the hall. Mima chases it, but eventually gets hit by a truck with the stalker driving. Things aren't going great, and she wakes up in her own room. This is going to become a theme of her constantly waking up and not knowing what the hell's going on, and neither do you. Yeah, this is the point where reality starts to break down, and the editing really just starts to fuck with you. (laughs) Uh, Also, with the show within the movie is in it Mima is playing uh is technically playing the murderer who because it's a cop show she's a murderer who has DID that's a fun cliche <sighs> yeah but so in the show she's someone who thinks she's a who's a normal girl who thinks she's a pop idol and switches between personalities and murders people that's the the main twist going on within the show and with the movie constantly cutting between realities at the moment you can't tell if that show is reality anymore or if uh what we are seeing from mima's perspective is the real world you start to question like wait a minute like they're saying stuff that's oddly happening is this reality or is what she's doing reality And then uh, there's a there's another murder where we see Mima murder the uh, sleazy photographer. Yep. More jumpy, more jumpy around reality. It's very confusing. Well, 
the show wraps somehow. Like, again, we are going between Mima in her room, Mima on the train, Mima on, on set, and it's jumping around so much. Yeah. We have no idea how much time has passed. We don't. Like, there, there's no, like, there's nothing to anchor you and say, oh, yes, this is where we're at. It's just actively you just everything starts to blur together the way she's interacting with people starts to just like keep kind of keep going and it's so confusing <laughs> and also anytime we cut back to the stalker we see him seemingly talking with himself and that he's going to get rid of this fake mima because it's destroying the true yeah. mima's image because like he's in his room alone doing this and like he has posters of Mima all over the wall and it's creepy and they all start talking to him like ah yes thank you for doing this and then like the ghost Mima appears and says ah yes thank you and all that and it kind of drives him to do something about that <laughs> so after the show wraps Mima is left alone in the studio the stalker shows up and uh, well attacks her almost rapes her but luckily Mima is able to grab a hammer and hit him in the head. This does not kill him. It knocks him out. I'd mm -hmm. like to note. Yep. So well, Mima is just a mess. Luckily Rumi is still in the studio. Finds her and takes her home. Mm. <laughs> Mima wakes up in her apartment and checks on her fish which there's more of, and a poster of Cham, which she took down in the beginning of the movie. Mm. <laughs> this is where we get a twist. Yep. Turns out, Ru Umi has just fucking snapped. Uh, apparently, Rumi used to uh, be a pop star, but that, and became a agent to help other pop stars come to light. And Mima Quang just kind of made her mentally break, especially seeing her lose her innocence with the TV show, that she thinks she's Mima. She's the real one, the I, the idol who was actually emailing with um, the stalker. And has also been doing all the murders, including murdering the stalker and the other agent who got Mima into movies in the first place. So we have a solid fight between the two until at ending up uh, running around the streets and Rumi impaling herself on a broken uh, window. Yeah. You still there, by the way? I'm still here. Cool. We flash forward an unknown amount of time where we see where Mima goes to visit Rumi in a mental war where Rumi has officially, like, gone into that, the personality of Idol Mima. Yep. And is just kind of stuck in the mental ward thinking of that. Ru uh, Mima gives her some flowers so she can feel like a an idol, leaves, set as, I am real, and then the movie ends. Yep. <laughs> Where the fuck do we start? <laughs> oh my goodness. There is a lot to unpack here with this movie. Um, for sure. Uh, I'll, actually, I'll start with uh, the book thing. Yeah, quick. start with a little bit of behind the scenes before we really get into why the movie is really good. So, so this book was kind of in uh, production hell, where the original writer of the book wrote a screenplay that was closer to the book, it was going to be live action, but the budget fell through, so they downgraded to straight home release, then downgraded to anim uh, animated straight home release, and honestly thought the movie was just going to bomb, Yep. like, no matter what they did. So they got this new time director named Satoshi Khan. Satoshi Khan read the screenplay and went, wow, that sucks, and wrote his own, <laughs> with the only guidelines being he needs a pop idol. Well, the main character needs to be a pop idol, there's violence, and there's a stock. So we stuck to that, and apparently it is not close to the book at all. I didn't even look up a Would You Rather. I just saw... Uh, not Would You Rather. Uh, <laughs> what's the difference? Yeah. 
but yeah, I just saw a bunch of people say like, yeah, this is nothing like the book. So I'm like, okay, it doesn't matter. Yeah. We just basically threw the book out the window. Like, <laughs> and it was originally going to be an OVA, but then they like sewed it all together yeah. into a movie and it just worked. It just worked because Satoshi Yana is just that fucking good at his job. So, cause I read, I was reading a little bit behind the scenes too. Cause like they didn't think it would succeed cause psychological thriller was not really a mainstream genre in Japan. It was very, very, very niche at the time period. And they were actually surprised when like fe festival circuits hailed it and all that. Like this is a fucking amazing and all that. So <laughs> no shit. It worked. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dang. Um, but yeah, just it is another one of those movies where like everything from like the story and like all the technical aspect is so fucking good. Uh, should we talk about like just the, I don't know, fucking you know, let's get into the animation here because it's still very much that high standard of Satoshi Khan. The only like slight downside, if you want to be nitpicky, is there are like a couple of jank moments just like scattered throughout. But when it's good, it is just mwah. oh my god. <laughs> Yeah, at the beginning, there's some, like, freeze-framing, oddly animated scenes. Yeah. Same at the end when she was shivering. <laughs> yeah, where it just looked like her eyes were vibrating. Yeah, it was bizarre. But yeah, there, that doesn't happen often, thankfully. Like, once the movie kicks into gear, it's like, oh, wow. It's that just gorgeous 90s animation. Yeah, and with some amazingly planned out match cuts. Oh, yeah, dude. The transitions are so fucking good just like the motion of it all just transitioning back is so nice like i know like you love that one scene on the train where you literally could not find where it switches over yeah because she's looking out she's on a subway and looking out the window and her reflection changes into the idle version of herself and it it's impossible to see with the naked eye when the transition happens i've tried so hard the transition is so fucking smooth that just bam right there it's just oh my god yeah the transitions in particular i have to give praise because there were seven there were so many times i was like oh my god that's so cool <laughs> especially when the movie's going full oh, yeah. gear in insanity the way it keeps cutting between reality and the yes. tv show it's so good because it's like, yeah, beforehand we're like, wow, this is a very clever editing and some weird transitions. I sure hope Satoshi Khan doesn't use it later on to actively fuck with the audience. <laughs> yeah, like, the, I, I had one in mind and now my brain's forgetting. Oh, no. I've done that before. <laughs> it may come back to me. Uh. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, mainly just when it keeps cutting back at the end when they're trying to shoot the scene at the docks. Yeah. Because it's just like, she's literally talking to Rumi. All of a sudden, a tap on the shoulder. Boom, she's back on set. Yep. It makes me think of uh, the edit from Scott Pilgrim where he phases out into light and the background goes dark and all of a sudden one of his bandmates pops into frame and goes scott and he's suddenly there yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's very oh, similar I would, to that i wouldn't be surprised if this slightly inspired edgar wright i wouldn't be surprised either yeah <laughs> i know uh it was famously i was wrong when i mentioned this to you it wasn't black swan it was famously uh the bathtub scene is remade in requiem for a dream oh it's requiem for a dream okay but i can see where the confusion lied because the director of black swan did say that this heavily influenced him yeah i just forgot that the bathtub scene was from a different movie okay. yeah like the uh, requiem for a dream basically recreated it <laughs> yeah it, it's literally the same shot yeah <laughs> uh but with sticking with animation it's so it's such beautiful colors it is and actually i didn't realize the animation explains the title slightly mm. or at least a fan theory says it does okay pray tell uh the sky isn't blue until the end of the movie really yes the the times when we see the sky it's ear blindingly white like a uh, stage lights or it's at night or, or it's at night uh... and once mima's head is finally clear of the stress and anxieties it's clear uh... like at the end when she's at the uh crazy house or whatever yeah at the oh. mental ward uh, when you can see out of her car windshield that's the only time you see a blue sky i didn't know 
okay, that's clever. Hell yeah, love that, love that. Yeah, because there are some just really gorgeous cityscapes in the animation and stuff like that. I didn't even realize that. That's cool. <laughs> I, I was thinking to myself, and this is a, I think this is an unfair comparison. Uh huh. But I was thinking with uh, Miyazaki films because Miyazaki is fantastic at doing landscapes like that's one of the cliches of his movie yeah it's like one of the main things he does is these big gorgeous sweeping landscapes set to pretty music yeah but his cityscapes are often not very interesting in my opinion Hmm, okay that's that's an interesting hot take well i'm mostly thinking of whisper of the heart (laughs) because that takes place that's one of his few movies that takes place mostly in the modern day with action like modern buildings and whatnot that is true like a lot of times it's either not modern day or it's like in the more rural areas of japan like not really the city but it's not very it's not a very interesting city but here with satoshi khan especially since it's at night yeah he really uses light to the advantage like the setting sky is red so the apartment building is lit up a a very dim blue it's it a very dim blue wonderful contrast yeah it's a very dim blue and then she walks up and she's wearing red or something isn't she i think so yeah and it's just this really gorgeous contrast between all these different colors it's so fucking pretty to look at and i do love the one nighttime shot where like it's the city but then you see the train kind of go by in the background in the distance it's so pretty yeah oh that's also how she figures out it's not her apartment she looks out the window instead of seeing other buildings you see the train yes it's clever (laughs) nice yeah (laughs) yeah animation is spot on just yeah just perfect like that's something we constantly joke about whenever we watch satoshi khan it's like his animators probably fucking hated him (laughs) oh my god yeah (laughs) yeah like just the scene of all the pictures talking was oh, probably a bitch probably i feel so bad for the people who had to animate that <laughs> uh end up being so good too and I, I do like you know with ghost Rumi how like translucent she is and how she like instead of walking naturally just kind of glides or just hops across things i'm seriously surprised there isn't more psychological horror done in animation I am too. It seems like the perfect fucking outlet for it. Like, like I know America stereotypes yeah. animation being just for kids, but even Japan, there isn't much horror in, in yeah. animation like this. Like there are horror animes, animes and stuff like that, you know, like uh, Shiki or When They Cry or a couple other. Even you know, Helsing technically. Even Helsing technically is like, yeah, horror has horror elements. But yeah, there's not a lot of straight up horror or psychological horror and because whenever anime does horror, it's really fucking good. Like, there's also elements of it in Black Lagoon as well, especially the OVA when Roberta goes nuts. Some of those scenes were fucking disturbing as shit. <laughs> yeah, it. Well, I guess it's usually when anime does horror, it's more of a monster thing. Yeah, it's not not a lot. It, not not a lot of times is it due to you know other humans just being fucking scary. Like. <laughs> I mean, there's possibly some yeah. uh, otherworldly elements in this movie. It's hard to tell. <laughs> and I think that was absolutely the intention of the movie. <laughs> so Yeah. But yeah, that's fantastic. The sound design adds to it immensely. Just adds to the atmosphere and all that. <laughs> yeah. You, you do have those really fun K-pop songs and there's... Or, sorry, not K. Wow, what the fuck, brain? J-pop, <laughs> J-pop. We're in Japan. Uh, Kapan, oh, yes. my favorite. <laughs> my favorite, yes, Korea Pan. Um, yeah, no, J-pop. There's some really pretty J-pop, but then there's also just the ambient noise is really good. And when it goes into like the straight up horror sequences, that music is just really, really tense and just adds to it. <laughs> yeah, it has a very odd clock tower vibe to it. It does, yeah. Like you notice, like the main theme was very similar. I'm like, yeah, it kind of does. I totally get that vibe from it. <laughs> I guess it's the bells being used or yeah. whatever the percussion is. Yeah, it's just really cool and well done. That just, you know, just the way, like, dialogue is arranged and just the way, like, people talk and, like, match cuts and all that is just so well done. <laughs> and the voice acting's phenomenal. Everyone does a great job, especially for an anime released in 97. <laughs> there are, uh, when she's first on set, like... Yeah. 
we see some studio heads come in to see how the show's doing, and their voices do not fit. But that's they're only in that one scene. Yeah, so. especially the one guy, his voice just did not match. <laughs> Actually, I think that dude was the screenwriter, but oh, he, he? he dies quickly. So. Yeah, exactly. So he didn't really spend a lot of time. And uh, there's Steve Bloom in an early role as well. Yeah, Steve Bloom before Cowboy Bebop. Yep. <laughs> or technically the same year as Bebop, if you don't count the time it was releasing festivals. Yeah, but... <laughs> but on everywhere where you look up the movie, it says 97. So fuck you. So fuck it. <laughs> So yeah, that's well done. Voice acting's good. Some animation, just yeah, just uh, the direction and just everything. Like Satoshi Khan is just one of those people who just absolutely just got animation and was able to use it so fucking well. Cause like his script is so good in this. Like he he very clearly had a vision. He was a very huge visionary. I think you said before we started recording, it's like you don't have to deviate, like stay to the book as long as you know which direction you're going to take the film. Directors owe nothing to the original source material if they have vision. Exactly. A quote from an essay on Can the Hat. Yep. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um. Did we talk about it yet? Uh, the the rape scene. Well, we're, we're gonna have, yeah. Because, again, that's the thing about this movie is there are two very graphic depictions of rape, one of which is simulated and one of which there is attempted rape. And it, it, it's it's not like, you know, Lone Wolf and Cub 3 where it's disgusting and meant to titillize and all that. No, this is legitimately disturbing to watch and it ties into the themes of the movie. And, like, you know, sexual assault being a symbolism for other themes and things in the movie it felt like you were going to say what those themes were then stopped <laughs> i'll let you handle that okay uh well one thing too i think that's i guess quote-unquote tasteful is yes it doesn't feel exploitative mm -hmm. like once the once the scene starts getting into it the camera pulls out so you're not focused yeah. on the the titillation that fucking 70s and 80s Ugh. movies like to focus on. Yeah, that's yeah, just a disgusting aspect of it, unfortunately. I I do find it uh, oddly humorous when they uh, shout cut during the the uh, made-up rape scene. Yeah. Because everyone just goes stone-faced and just sits there while they move the cameras. Yeah, while they move the cameras, and there was just, I found one part darkly funny where he was like, you gotta get there faster. He's like, oh, sorry, my zipper jammed. Oh, yeah, they had to stop during the scene. Yeah, like, that's just darkly humorous. Like, <laughs> Which also, that has to actually happen when doing those scenes, right? It has to, yeah. Like, the, the statistically, it had to have happened before. Uh, But it does... Well, okay. One thing that people think this movie is a commentary on is... Uh, the pop idol industry as its own. Satoshi Khan has said is not about that. If you read into that, you know, the eye of the beholder and all that, but from him, that is not what this is. Mm -hmm. Mainly one of the things about this movie, I wish I found the interview because he, it's a comparison to Malayam actress actually. And we'll, I'll talk about it more when we get to that movie. Mm -hmm. But this movie is about, sort of the bad relationship between obsession. That's one of the main things. The whole reason of the stalker and the big idol. Mm -hmm. But with the uh, the constant sexual assault and even the killer using a screwdriver is a very... Uh, oh, what's the movie? Slumber Party Massacre way of symbolism. Because mm -hmm. in that movie, it's a guy going after... Or girls with a big power drill and here it's a long screwdriver yeah the phallic type of weapon to symbolize that yeah the the people who are getting killed took away the innocence of mia and yeah. now are getting screwed getting screwed yeah i don't know if that's the exact joke they were going for but if it was i i both applauded and i'm annoyed yeah <laughs> like 
the the fucking murders are brutal. We'll have to get back to that. Oh, we'll definitely get back to that. <laughs> Jesus. But it is a uh, one of the themes of this is how the I'm trying to think. Like the system of being a celebrity seems to strip people of who they are, take yeah. away make them very vulnerable and that's one of the main things the character gets by the end like she he finally does get comfortable again she he gets empowered again yep or and if she didn't otherwise the studio would have literally just chewed her up and tossed her out yeah and she would have been replaced by someone who was like her mm-hmm. so there is reason here it's just jesus christ it's heavy it's heavy it's a lot that is for sure so anyway yes <laughs> um that is what those themes entail and that's the last we'll be able to hopefully talk about actually that. whoever's editing just put the line of god uh but uh <laughs> yeah hey, well, let's talk about what americans like most sex and violence and violence yes let's talk about the murders because jesus christ i think you mentioned this too just an interesting observation 90s anime blood is very goopy yeah, it's very. It has a lot of weight to it, and it's yeah. very sticky. It is very sticky. Like you see, it just onto the floor, and it kind of has the same viscosity of like gravy or something like that. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to put it. Gravy or yeah. syrup or like syrupy. a light syrup. Yeah, it has this kind of this weird like weight to it or something like that. Um, but yeah, I, I do love that first murder scene where she like stabs him in the fucking eye. Because it's it's so fast, it's so brutal, and it's just I think it's just the music and just tension. It's it's a really good murder sequence. I completely forgot it showed it up close, like going yeah. through his fucking eyes, straight up, just bam. <laughs> and that was the whole joke because they find his body later. Um, his eyes are gone, and the movie was called Double Blind. So, <laughs> yeah, haha, yeah. <laughs> Um, also the second murder of the yeah. photographer, probably the most infamous scene of the movie because of the shot where Mima is go just going ham on stabbing him. Is that the one where she's silhouetted against the uh, TV screen or whatever? Yeah, the image of herself. Yes. Uh, just before that, though, when we get the close-ups, like, he's stabbed in <laughs> yeah. the... I think it's a stab to the chest and then stab to the balls. Yeah, they stab the motherfucker in the balls and you see it. It's quick, but you see it in close up. Just bam. I'm just like, oh, my God. Was that necessary? Yes. Like, symbolism. Yeah, like I get the symbolism there. So, but <laughs> yeah, this they are just really fucked up scenes. It's only uh, technically four kills of the movie, but we yeah. see two of them. The other two happen off screen. Yep. And when, yeah, when they do happen, it's just brutal as shit. Also, just a quick side note, um, the studio was not helping her mental health at all because, like, th this guy is murdered all of a sudden very quickly, and then you're not even going to give your actors a day to keep working because the guy's driving her. He's like, oh, yes, just keep on a smile. We can't let that get on. Like, you won't even give your cast, like, a day to recuperate from this. Yeah, people are fucking yeah. dead. <laughs> And the fact that, like, the one guy, like, when the second murder happens, she's called up, and not only do they, does she have to go in and shoot that day, it's a murder mystery, where she has to, like, stumble across the body or whatever. Yeah, where she murdered someone yeah. with, with a screwdriver. You wouldn't think to, like, maybe not do that scene right after someone is actually fucking murdered that we all knew? Like, Jesus. Or at least she knew. Or at least she knew, personally. Like, come on. <laughs> Like, guys, we could take a day. Also, yeah. why are these episodes being recorded and then, like, edited and released on TV the yeah. same week? Yeah, that doesn't make sense just for a production schedule thing. I, that's not, at least to my knowledge, how that realistically works. <laughs> I know sometimes editing of a TV show will be done the same week it is uh, yeah. aired, but, but it's not, not shot. shot. Yeah, it's not shot or filmed the same fucking week that it airs. That's not... No, <laughs> I don't think that's physically possible. I don't think it is either. You have Except for South Park because well, easy animation. Yeah, but <laughs> but yeah, it's like you have a full forty-five minute episode or whatever, like fifty-minute episode 
which you have to shoot and do multiple takes of, and then you have to take all that raw footage. It just doesn't seem possible to do within a week. Well, because you have all the locations, yes. too. Exactly. Like, you have to travel around, get all the different shots. It just, it doesn't, it's not feasible. I don't know how they do it in the movie, but that was just kind of a distraction from us being, you know, from a dis- production background. It's like, that would never happen. <laughs> or how with the assault scene, realistically, if it was a set, there would be way less people. For yeah. scenes like that, you have way less people on set just so the actor is more comfortable. Correct. There's usually not like a full crew. Like there was at least, what, 20 people around her? There was maybe even more. Yeah. Because there were, it was on a set too, and there were people in the back rooms, like controlling lights yeah. and stuff. Well, there were people in the back rooms, plus the crowd was, there were actors in the crowd supposed to hold her down, or whatever. It was supposed to look like a crowded bar. Yeah. But yeah, it's like we had all these crewmen with lights and all these different camera angles, and it was just like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I get what you're going for here, movie, but unrealistic. Yes, sorry. <laughs> That's a nitpick. That's a bit of a nitpick. Criticism. <laughs> I know this is the air now, and we have to explain that <laughs> yeah um what oh we could talk about the confusing scene too but what about it well just just it's because it's hard to explain what the hell yeah. happened with it because okay so mima is sh- uh doing the photo shoot but and cham is doing a performance because you know they're hit their uh, song is doing well i was confused on which scene you were talking about i thought you meant like Uh, the scene at the end where everything was crazy okay you meant like confusing as an okay okay because there's a lot of confusing scenes in this movie i was like wait which one is he going for (laughs) sorry (laughs) the one that could technically cause a plot hole depending on how you read it yeah okay sorry i'll let you continue with the explanation (laughs) okay yeah but jam is performing and then as Mima did well on Mima's room the website someone that version of Mima is saying like I'm going to perform with Chan again <sighs> and Mima's like well no I'm going to the photo shoot but we do see Mima perform and her dancers look uncomfortable and there's still the weird glow around Mima's yeah which is kind of um the motif to tell if something is a dream or isn't exactly real yeah she looks like a ghost she's like very glowy and has almost a translucent uh look to her so that implies that it's roomy but the crowd is cheering like it's really mima and even uh the stalker who is recording the show is smiling like it's mima but then why would no one mention that room? Because realistically, Rumi will have been in the outfit yeah. is 20 years older than Mima and uh, has a different body type. Yeah. So there's no way they wouldn't have noticed. You mean to tell me no one in the crowd, including the stalker, which has noticed details like she puts her always puts her right foot forward before her left foot getting off the train. You mean to tell me he didn't notice that this was a completely different looking person. There are some people who say, well, it is also kind of stay in the movie that not only is he running the website, but so is her producer of Rumi. Oh, okay. The two were working together. So it could have been Rumi who knew details as well. Gotcha. Gotcha. But still. (laughs) Yeah. So, it's hard to tell if this is Mima dreaming that that happened, but it's still on the website, so something had yeah. to happen in order to be true. It's it's weird. We don't know. And he, Justin actually went digging online for it and got the answer of, that ah, we don't know, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's literally a an article online of, like, the best explanation of Perfect Blue on the internet, like, yeah. explaining all the symbolism and whatnot. And even for that, they were like, <laughs> we don't fucking know. We really have no idea. Like, this scene is very problematic in a couple of ways, but... Because eh. either way, it leads to some logic... Uh, a jump in logic or a plot hole. Yes, exactly. So, it's just kind of there. We don't know. So... <laughs> we don't have an explanation either. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Oopsie poopsie. <laughs> uh but yes, just everything about this film is just fantastically done. So, 
gave Satoshi Khan his start, and yeah, I'm just very, very happy with it. It's, it's such a good fucking movie. So it is. It's a, if you haven't seen it and you can take the content, I do highly suggest yeah. watching it, even knowing the twist. Exactly. Even knowing the twist, it's still really good because you'll pick up on things that were kind of hinted. So, <laughs> yeah, like uh, I really enjoyed at the beginning when they're talking about the rape scene. Yeah, uh, you see it holds on Rumi for a while and it seems like that she's just getting upset that they're even talking about this. But then you realize it's because she's like, that's ruining me. Mm-hmm. All her stares get like a, a double meaning. Yes, exactly. <laughs> stares, just little lines of dialogue you kind of pick up on. So, <laughs> Also, just the work of having things having things so oddly uh balanced where even you start even as an audience member you lose yeah. what reality is anymore just playing with that sense of reality and surrealism is just you know a hallmark of satoshi khan and how he's able to do that is so fucking good like this must have blown people's fucking minds back in the late 90s <laughs> my favorite thing uh when things get really crazy and uh mima keeps waking up in her room is the only way you can tell time has passed is some things are slightly moved. Yeah, it's a really, it's a little touch, but so nice. <laughs> like, that is your only grounded thing. You have no idea where we are in the film shoot. You don't know what day it is. Yep. Even Mima doesn't know what day it is. Yeah. She keeps kind of just gliding back and forth here, and then all of a sudden she's on set, and it's like, uh-huh, oh, oh, right, hi. Uh <laughs> Because, uh, yeah, because uh, What's-Her-Nose came up and she uh, was like, um, oh, I'm glad you finally talked to me. It's been a while. And she was like, what are you talking about? I was just here yesterday. Yeah, Rumi. Rumi. That was it. I forgot her name for a second. Yeah. She's she like, I was just here yesterday. It's like, oh, shit. <laughs> That's what it was. Um, the, the blurring of the lines. It was the scene where we see Mima on the street and someone comes up to her and is like, you should be a model. And it's like. Wait, yeah. you should be a model. She's a pop idol. And then it turns out we're in the show. We're in the show. It, it, it pulled that trick on me, I think, twice in the movie. I was like, oh, shit, we're in the movie. We're actually in the show within a show. Shit. <laughs> yeah, you lose track so easily. Uh, and that really adds to the horror of the movie as well. It does. It does. Like, not only does she not know, we have no idea what the fuck is going on. So. <laughs> yeah, talk about an unreliable narrator. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> does it so well. <laughs> Ah, uh, but yes, um, I think that's about it, huh? Yeah. Yeah, so definitely, definitely check it out um, if you're able to handle it. we that. say that for every Satoshi Khan movie. Well, thing. we do, and, and we are, we'll continue to say that for every Satoshi Khan movie, because he was just the best, so. <laughs> yeah. But yes, that was Perfect Blue. Like I said, if you can handle the content, or like we said, I guess, just check it out, for sure. Highly recommended from both of us. <laughs> yeah. And, again, I'd like to say, even though, like, the assault scenes are intense, mm -hmm. but not as... It's more of mental games on how graphic it is. It's weird. Yeah. Because, like, when I initially watched the movie, it's interesting, during the second one, um, I actually thought that it did show some graphic penetration. But upon second viewing, it didn't. And I was like, oh, there was actually... That was... Uh, he didn't actually do that upon viewing so yeah it's kind of like a, a psycho shower scene yeah. you think you saw more than you did yeah like it kind of like because the first time i, I want to mention too that the first time was a I, I i don't i don't even want it was a horrible idea and it, it wasn't a bad experience but it wasn't a good experience but it was a good experience in a bad way if that makes sense, because I was horribly sleep deprived. The was... right man in the wrong place. Yes, I was horribly sleep deprived. It was like 4 a.m. when I first watched this movie. So it like extra fucked with me. Like, <laughs> Yeah, sleep deprived and watching this movie. I'm sure that did yeah. make you feel even more fucking oh, lost. Yeah, no, exactly. Like, yeah. <laughs> so glad I got to personally revisit it as well. Now that that's covered, is it time to do the thing? It might be time to do the thing. <gasps> Yay! Where we spin a director's wheel. This is the director's wheel. We have multiple directors. We pick their movies. We put them on a wheel. We're going to spin it. Is this the second spin? or? Uh, yeah, this will be a second spin. All right. Let's do it. 
Well, no, I guess first spin of this patch, technically. Of this patch, yeah. Oh, right, 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 right. Because we got... Whatever, it's the second movie we're... Because we uh, do four movies from this, then we go back to our sellout wheel, which has a bunch of series that you know and can easily share episodes with friends because they'll know the movies too. Yep. Shameless plugging. Mm. And the episodes may be on YouTube already. Maybe. <laughs> Isn't that right, future Cameron? Isn't I'm going to be right? at your house in June. The only reason I'm staying more than a week is to yell at you to put the episode <laughs> in. <laughs> oh, shit. Anyway. Spin. Okay. Um, I forget this director's name. Which movie are we watching? Uh, we are watching one from the director of Twilight known as Plush. I know nothing about this movie. Okay, Plush. Other than that. We will check it out, yeah, because I'm, her name is escaping me as well. Let me look that up just so we don't look like a bunch of fucking idiots. Um, it is... Uh, really? I mean, we already do. I mean, yeah, but, like, come on. Um, Catherine Hardwick? Yes. Okay. I thought that was her name, but I yeah. couldn't remember. I knew it was Catherine something. Yeah, it's uh, we're doing plush, so that will be very, very interesting. I'll be interested to check that out for sure. I also get confused because we have Catherine Bigelow on yeah, here. Yeah, exactly. Well. well, Catherine Hardwick is with a C. Catherine Bigelow is with a K. No, I didn't like that game. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Cinema Roulette. If you want to interact with the show more, you can follow us on Twitter at Roulette Cinema. If you wish to follow our hosts, Justin is at JK Pancake on Twitter, and Cameron is at Cameron Picks Inc on twitter if you wish to watch a video version of the podcast it can be found on the youtube channel cam cam thanks again to teller's place for making the base art for all of our thumbnails and if you enjoyed the show please remember to subscribe or rate on whatever podcast app you use What? See ya then, except I like said it weird. It sounded like you said see you not. No, I was just went see you then. Okay. <laughs>